Father, we thank you this evening as we're gathered in your house. Father, we thank you that this subject that we're going to look at, that we took a look at this morning, so relevant for each and every one of our lives, Father. Father, we thank you that you do heal the brokenhearted. We thank you, Father God, for what you do in our lives, Father, how you change us, redeem us and restore us. And Father, for that this evening, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we started our new sermon series. Um, actually, just before we get into that, just one quick announcement. Um, I'm going to be in the church office tomorrow, but I'm going to be off on holiday for 10 days after that. Uh, so from Tuesday until uh, Sunday the 19th, uh, I'm on holiday. Uh, so if you, can, um, if you need anything, please get in touch with uh, Reese or Matty in the office or contact um, one of the elders and stuff. So <coughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> No, I hope you don't miss me too much, like, just, <laughs> just thought I'd say that. In other words, don't disturb me. That's what I'm trying to be nice and say, okay? <laughs> Thank you. So we come this morning, we began the series on uh, Broken, just something I felt God had laid on my heart before Christmas about taking a look at what his word says uh, about simply things that are broken, and around us, there are many people that live broken lives, they've experienced broken relationships, people have broken dreams, um, things have happened to them, or they've done things, and they feel broken, and they wonder, that, is there any hope? Can God do anything? And, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about is, is people being broken. But on the other side of that, the most important thing we're going to talk about is this, is God can fix broken people. Uh, it's why we do what we do, because we believe God can fix uh, broken people, that he redeems them and he restores them. And this morning I made three points that we're going to hold on to uh, through our sermon series. And because at times things happen to us, we don't always have an understanding of why they're happening, but sometimes we can feel broken. And, and I, I said with you that often we're broken because God wants to repair us, he wants to fix us. Uh, you know, in the sense of there are things that have damaged us and, and God provides his healing and he heals us because he wants to make us whole. And then the second thing I shared with you that, that God uh, often breaks us because he wants to use us for his glory. Is uh, None of us are destined just for a life of filling up church, of just turning up to church and that's the sum total of our walk with God. God wants to use each and every one of us that's gathered here tonight in a particular area of his kingdom. Uh, so he wants to be able to, to, to do that. And then the third thing that we looked at as, is this, is that God wants to, to break us because he wants to bless us. And that was really what we looked at this morning when we looked at the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. That Jacob was a very proud man, very dependent upon himself. And I shared with you the story, and it very much will flow through what we're simply saying tonight, is that that dependence upon ourselves sometimes takes away from the dependence that we should have on God. And often at times we are reliant upon ourselves and hand things to God and say, God, would you deal with this? And then we take it back again. Then we give it him again. Then we take it back again. And so tonight we're, we're looking at a character in Scripture and we're talking about the whole subject of failure and, and, and what happens to us when we fail. 
and how God uses us, when, how God deals with us when we're broken through failure. Uh, each and every person in here will have failed at something. He says, that's the good news tonight. We will have failed at something, whether it would have been our exams. Uh, if, you're, if you're my age, we would have done the GCSEs. If you're older than me, uh, that you would have done the O-levels. Uh, if you're older than that, you would have gone to work in the mill at 14. Um, <laughs> And, and so each of us, when we come, we would have failed at, at something. So I, 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 sat, I sat all my exams. That was probably my proudest achievement. <laughs> and so I sat all my exams, and so I failed everything except drama, which is obviously an excellent qualification for being a pastor, uh, because you are dealing with the dramatic sometimes. Uh, but obviously that's the one I've had. But we, we, we do sit so many times. We fail sometimes at so many things. Maybe we go for the interview and we don't get it and we feel like we've failed. Uh, and there were so many things that happened to us in life. And they get more serious than that because we look at relationships that we have in life that, that simply we failed at. And, you know, maybe there are people that come to your mind, family members that you don't speak to anymore, friends that you were once uh, close friends with that you, you don't speak to because there has been a failure, uh, uh, some form of reconciliation. And so for each of us, and, and not to put a dampener on the beginning of the sermon, is that, that we, we, we have failed sometimes in, in, in some way. Maybe it's in our job, maybe it's in our school. It says a man who has failed has never really done Anything, everybody fails or something. We often learn our greatest lessons through the failures that we make, the things that we do wrong, the times that we feel like, I just want to give up. I just want to quit. I have failed. And often, I mean, I have a confession to make to you tonight. It says, in the last 19 years, I've been working in ministry here at church. On my way home, uh, as I drive towards Carrick Fergus, there is a McDonald's on the right-hand side. There would be a few Sunday nights as I drive past that McDonald's. I would think to myself, it would be much better working in there with flipping burgers than it would with people because you feel like a failure sometimes. You feel like, am I really getting anywhere? Is anything really happening? Is, is it, do, do I feel? And, and it's a way we feel often. It's a, it's a way of feeling, that's just my instant, but now that's not every Sunday night, so I don't want you to panic like, you know, but it's just some Sunday nights, and that hasn't been for a while, but the point is this, is we can feel like if we can start something, find that it's too difficult, and we give it up, and we feel like a failure because we failed. And so that's why it's so uh, good for us really to look at what God says to us about this. And, the, and it's not the theory that God often wants to teach us. He wants to teach it us in the life of somebody that we can relate to because the biblical characters aren't perfect, but they do relate to me and you because we understand what's happening to them and they've done things that we would do that we would feel like failures at or weak at or have made mistakes at and suddenly realise we can relate to them. The guy we're going to look at is Peter. And Peter's main failure was simply this, that on the night Jesus was arrested, he denied him three times. Before we pick the story up just on the screen that comes to you, to remember Peter was a man that, that, that had been called by Jesus to be a fisher of men. He'd spent three years with Jesus. I mean, every day for three years he'd spent, he'd seen all the miracles. He'd seen all the good that Jesus had done. The night, the, the last supper that Jesus is there and Peter's 
fairly big and brash is the one that's saying, even if everybody else denies you, I'll not be the one. I'll stand by your side right up until death. Uh, and so we pick the story up of what happens to Peter because this relates to us. It says in Mark 14, 66 to 72, it says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you would disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, the last bit there, when Peter remembers the word that Jesus had spoken to him, was a few verses earlier in that chapter when Jesus had already spoken of this in verses 30 to 31 when he says, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I would never disown you. And all the others said the same. After being called by Jesus to follow him and become a fisher of men, after proclaiming that he would die with Jesus, this man who had stepped out onto the water, who had wanted to take that step of faith to walk on water like Jesus did, had identified Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one who was coming, had witnessed the transfiguration of the mountain where Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elijah. Peter couldn't see anymore to be convinced of who Jesus was and what Jesus was going to do. He'd seen the many miracles of Jesus, but it tells us here at the end of that passage that he simply broke down and wept. Why? Because he'd failed. He hadn't disowned Jesus once. He hadn't disowned Jesus twice. He had disowned Jesus three times. And Jesus had told him of this. And he breaks down and weeps at his failure. As many of us at different points in our life will have when we have messed up. When we have shown weakness. When we have done something and said something we shouldn't have. When we have simply failed and realize we have failed, we simply break down and weep. And we're no different from this great man of God, Peter, here, who did this. But is there any hope for him? I mean, let's see. Well, the, the story of Peter illustrates this. Uh, and this really covers everything. Some of you will have seen this before, and I've been sharing this probably from when some of you were young people, that failure is an event, never a person. We can't call people failures because they're not. It says we may have failed at everything. We may be a total disaster at everything. But that does not make us a failure. It says because failure is always an event, never a person. Peter wasn't a failure. He failed to do what he was supposed to do, which is declare uh, that he knew Jesus and he was with Jesus. 
And, but he comes away and he feels a failure he, and because he simply has not done what he's supposed to do. But this illustrates in God's economy this, that failure is an event, never a person. No, to fail means to fall short, to not meet the expected requirement. I've said we'll all have failed at something here. Some of those failures will have been small things uh, that we get to have another go at. Some of them will be major things that will never get fixed beyond repair. And we have to learn how to deal with these things. And uh, there are four things I think that Peter teaches, that God teaches us here through the life of Peter. And it's important to understand this when we fail, because I think this teaching goes around the Christian faith sometimes. It's simply, I'll do what I want and get forgiven. I'll do what I want, I can get forgiven. That's grace. That's not grace. It says, we'll see from the story of Peter that what Jesus does with him, because Jesus, Peter has made a mistake, there is a process that comes that Jesus leads him in to his forgiveness. And that's the bit that we must focus on tonight. Because often I have heard people over the years, well, I can do what I want because God will forgive me anyway, because that's grace. That's not grace. It says we have a responsibility to do the things that we're called to do. Peter got himself into a mess because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And it caused a mess in his life and made him feel like a failure because of that. We must look at the process. But four quick things that will help us to start with. It's this. Failure doesn't mean you have blown everything. It means you have some hard lessons to learn. Peter's problem before we got to this point was that he was an arrogant man. He was simply the man that simply says, I'm the leader, I'm the most important person here. I'm the one that will, will stand at the side of Jesus. I will be the one that will lead the other disciples. He, he was an arrogant man. And that dependence upon who he was meant that God had to do something in his life to strip him of that, you see. And you see, it doesn't mean that he's blown everything. Can you ever blown everything tonight? If you believe for a second that something you've said, something you've done, or something that has happened to you is big enough to blow the whole plan that God has for your life, you do not have a proper understanding of who God is and what God has done for you in sending his son, Jesus Christ. It says it's impossible to blow it. Failure is merely a stepping stone that we learn from in the plan and the purpose that God has for you and for me. But we've some hard lessons to learn. It doesn't mean you are a permanent loser. It means you aren't as smart as you thought you were. I have a confession to make, another one. God, church is always a good place for confession. You ever sat in a place where you realised you're not as smart as you think you are? Most of you, come on, be honest. Like, it, says, like, it says, we did a man-up quiz before Christmas. And we did the Bible round. And I totally failed it, totally failed it. Totally. But I failed on one question that shall live with me in the shame of it forever, which is what is the first book of the Bible in alphabetical order? Oh no, the shame, the shame. Everybody knows that it's Acts, yes, I. I said, I said it was Amos. But it taught me a lesson because God never wastes anything. Sometimes it's just more public sometimes, but God never wastes anything because I suddenly realized I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And, and you see, that illustrates something that happens to us in our life sometimes. We think we've got it all worked out. 
the plan that we're going to walk and we're bringing God along with us for the plan that we have for our life. And I tell you, God sometimes does things and changes the path that we're on. So he's the one leading rather than the one that we're bringing along with us. Because the idea of us being a Christian and sold out for God and walking with God is this. is not that we choose to do the things we are going to do in our life and bring God along with us, but actually that God leads us into the things that he's called us to do. And often God has to do things to make us realize we're not as smart and clever as we are. And Peter did that as well. The problem with Peter, he thought he was more intelligent than everybody else. He thought, Jesus, if you go to the cross, I'll be there right with you. And he said all of this stuff. And when the opportunity presented itself, what did he do? He crumbled. He failed. He went away and wept. Why did he weep? Because he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. The third thing is this. It doesn't mean you should give up. It means you need the Lord to show you the next step. And, and really, that's self-explanatory. That We've got to keep going. If anybody in here feels like giving up for any reason tonight, don't. The fact that you failed or the truth that you failed is just part of the journey that you're on. So I encourage you tonight, if you feel like giving up, don't give up. There's no point giving up. It's not any easier out there. It's not any easier going back to what you thought it would be like. It says this is all part of the process of the purpose that God has for us, which we will see in the life of Peter. And the fourth thing is this. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It simply means that God has a better plan. You know, Jesus displays this amazing grace dealing with Peter. He deals with the sin of failure and the denial of Christ. And it simply, we see it now in the next bit that we're going to read. Peter's simply left alone now. And you know, when you fail, when you mess up, he says, you know what you want to be? You want to be alone, don't you? You don't want to be with anybody. It doesn't matter what anybody says. People try and encourage you. People try and build you up. People try and, and, and lift you. People try and tell you that, look, it's one of those things. They'll give you all the reasons. But you want to be alone. You want to be alone with your failure. And Peter was like that. In the midst of his failure and brokenness, Jesus is ready to do something tremendous, which is to restore him. You see, I thought about this, and, and it's a don't let your big failure talk you out of God's bigger grace. That your big failure is far bigger. Sorry, God's bigger grace is far bigger than your failure. He says, if you think to yourself that God can't keep me covered with his grace because I failed. Again, you've no understanding of God's amazing grace. Of what he does with each and every one of us in our lives. You know, three verses just quickly. After Jesus uh, is resurrected and he comes back. Mark 16 verse 7 says, go and tell him. His disciples, that he's here, and Peter. Luke 24, verse 34 says, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Peter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4 and 5 says, And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. You see, we come to John 21 next, and we see this is what Jesus does with Peter. He could have sort of said, Well, you know what, you let me down, you failed me. He said, you had one opportunity in front of a little girl who said, did you know me and, and you disowned me? And yet Jesus doesn't do that. He shows us a tremendous journey of grace that he brings Peter on as he deals with Peter's failure. 
Now, he doesn't ignore the failure. This is where we must understand the journey of grace. He doesn't ignore the failure. He doesn't ignore what Peter has done. And the context of John 21 is this. It's evening on the Sea of Galilee. It's not long after the resurrection. Peter spent the night fishing. Peter was a fisherman. He's gone back to what he did before he met Jesus. And in going back to doing what he did before he met Jesus, he's almost sending a signal out that that's it. I'm finished. It's over. There's no hope for me now. I'll just go and do what I've always known to do, which is to go and fish. But in the morning, a man calls from the shore telling them to put their nets out on the other side of the boat and they'll catch fish. And and Peter realizes that it's Jesus there on the shore. And so Peter dives overboard and swims to the shore. And they have breakfast together. Uh, And Peter and Jesus took a walk. And this is the part of the story that we know because Jesus is now going to deal with Peter's failure. And this is the important thing with being broken, that what Jesus desires to do is fix our brokenness. Whatever was brokenness, whether it be failure, whether it be something else, he says he desires to fix that brokenness. And here we see these verses, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, it was interesting as I read this, uh, Peter and Jesus are there. And it's just as well, I'm not Jesus, so you're not Jesus. Because I'd have turned around and the person that had denied and the person who'd let me down and the person who'd failed me, I would have put a lot more conditions on that sort of thing, you know, you know and probably done a lot more name calling as well because he'd let me down, he'd failed me. And yet Jesus in the walk, in the journey that he has with Peter, displays his tremendous, amazing grace. But he does something else here as well. Uh, he brings Peter back to the place of denial. And what do you mean? Well, I read this and I thought this was very interesting. He said, Peter and Jesus had this conversation around a charcoal fire. The particular Greek word for charcoal fire is used in only one other place in the New Testament to refer to the charcoal fire in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus. Jesus is in the business of restoring people. He brings him back to this charcoal fire. And I could see Peter probably looking at it thinking, the last time I probably stood at a fire, I denied the man standing next to me. But Jesus does something tremendous and amazing. He says, by one fire, Peter says, I don't know him. But by this fire... He says, Lord, you know I love you. The third thing we see is this. By one charcoal fire, he denied Christ. By one charcoal fire, he is restored by Christ. In Peter's brokenness, Jesus is doing something amazing. And it's something so simple. He's just simply giving Peter another chance. And how often is it when we complicate things in our life and think God will not take me back, that God will ignore me and I've let God down. Actually, all he wants to do is to give us another chance. 
And he brings Peter to this fire. The fire that he denied him at the first time. Peter then declares his love for Christ. The, he simply says to him, he says, will, will you do now, Peter, what I need you to do, which is to feed my sheep, which is to take care of my people. You know, and we're here, and, and I notice this, you know, I, I notice this just as we come, because my time is nearly up. He says, consider what Jesus doesn't do. And this is so important when we think about our, our, our relationship with him, when we think about the walk that we're on, when we think about what he wants to do in each of our lives. Consider what Christ doesn't do. He doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. You know, when we've been hurt by people and things have been said and done and stuff, you know, we forgive because we're Christians, but often at times we want people to feel bad because they've made us feel bad. Let's just be honest. That sometimes we want to do that. Or we'll forgive, but we'll not forget. And, and that's the way we just are with our human reactions sometimes. But we see Jesus here. He doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. And he could have. He doesn't humiliate him publicly. Doesn't bring him out in front of the fire and ask him a question in front of all the other disciples. Why did you let me down? Why did you fail me? Why, when you were asked, did you know me? Did you not turn around? Yes, that would have just compounded the failure and just added more stuff. And he didn't humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask him, are you sorry for what you did? Are you sorry? He said, if you've got kids, you know, we'll say that. He said, you're sorry, you're really sorry. He says, and often as parents will say things like, you know, there were some things, you know, you can't be sorry for. There were some things that sorry's not enough. And we'll say that, you know, but it's the truth of it, is it? He doesn't ask him, are you sorry for what you did? He simply just comes to him and he's restored him upon this journey at the failure of his brokenness. He doesn't make him promise to do better. And finally, he just simply asks him one question. Simply says, do you love me? Do you love me? And you know, it would have been enough at that point, I think, to look at this story of Peter and say to him, you know what, he's restored. Jesus has displayed that love and affection and grace to Peter. And so that would probably be enough. We could close the Bible over. We could finish the story there. But Jesus always has a bigger plan for us when we are restored, when he fixes our brokenness. And six weeks after this story that goes on, he says the time is coming for the birth of the church. Because Jesus has now ascended to heaven. He's told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit is coming. And he says on that particular day, they're all in the room praying. And there were many, many people gathered. And, and suddenly there comes an opportunity to, to preach the first gospel message. There were 3,000 people plus outside there. And suddenly there could be any one of these disciples that are there. And suddenly, to show the picture of full restoration, of the journey of grace that Peter has been on, to show the miraculous work that God does in each and everybody's life, to show how he has come back from that failure of brokenness, Peter is the one who steps forward and preaches the gospel. If that's not a picture of what God does in the lives of each and every one of us, I don't know what is. Because he uses the man who has denied his son seven weeks before. 
He has used the man who chopped the ear off of a soldier who came to arrest Jesus the night before. I mean, imagine if I stood here tonight in the context of where we are and say, I'm not here next Sunday, but we're bringing somebody along who is going to preach for us and says, seven weeks ago he was in prison because he chopped somebody's ear off. Just after he had told somebody they didn't know that Jesus Christ that he's coming to preach about, he's coming to preach next Sunday. That's probably all right because I'm not here. But anyway, he's coming to preach. That's how absurd, that's how absurd this is. But it's how real the grace of God is. That when he works in somebody's life and changes them, and what we have to do sometimes as a church is stop setting the conditions, the standards, the exclusivity for what God wants to do in a person's life because he wants to work in everybody's life. And those that have failed and those that are broken and those who have done things wrong and had things done wrong to them, God is, wants to work in their lives as well. Peter steps forward, he preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved and the church is born that day. I do not always understand the concept of grace. None of us can possibly understand. But I know it works. But I know it works. It works in each and every one of our lives. And if tonight you feel like a failure, if tonight being a failure at something has stopped you in your walk with God, tonight is the night to deal with it. Tonight is the night to deal with it. You don't need to be broken anymore. You need to go through the process in the sense that Peter went through with Jesus. That's fine. That's between you and God. But you see, if we failed, our failure should not stop us anymore from what God has called us to do. It should not stop us anymore for what he has, wants to do in our life which is to make us in the, to the people that he wants us to become. That's a good news tonight. The bad news is he was broken by failure. The good news is God fixed his brokenness and turned his failure into a blessing for him to build his kingdom. That's a power of God at work in a person's life. Do you agree with me? Good stuff. I can't say a thing up here. It's so dark. You all could have gone home by now, except the front row I can see. Says so this is God working in people's lives. And throughout our series here, and with this I finish with my last minute, God wants to work in the lives of each and every one of us to change us to be the people that he wants us to become. Some things need fixed and repaired. Some things we need to offer up to God for us to be used. God wants to bless us in our brokenness. And if we have failed, it's time to deal with that failure tonight to say, God, here I am. I'm sorry I failed. Will you give me another chance? Do you know what his answer is going to be? Yes, absolutely. It's why I sent my son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this evening. We're reminded, Lord, as the story that we've read tonight from Scripture that God, you are in the business of giving people another chance. And Father God, we love the journey that Jesus took Peter on when he made him face up to his failure, to face up to the challenges and the difficulties. And Father, that's what you do with us because Lord, you want to bless us. You want to use us. You want to fix what is broken. And Father, for each and every person gathered in this church tonight,
Father, each individual situation and circumstance, Lord, would you do what only you can do, Father God? Father, as your word is silent, your spirit continues to work. And Father, we thank you tonight as we are in church, Lord, that you are in the business of dealing with the stuff in people's lives that need to be dealt with. And Father, for that, we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our overflow room is available afterwards for those who would like prayer. And we have presented the gospel tonight that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And simply, if you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour, we want to give you that opportunity this evening. We don't want to let you go out of the church tonight as a wasted opportunity of what God has done for you because he loves you. So please take advantage of our overflow room and the team are going to lead us in a final song this evening. Thank you. Church, let's stand as we sing our final song.